Well, good morning, Cornerstone. It is good to see you. Merry Christmas. If you are new, my name is Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here. We didn't mention it earlier, but if you do have a little one, we have nursery available down, down the hallway there to your right, and there's a room in the back there that uh, you can take any fussy little ones if you like, or if you just don't want to see my face. Actually, there's a, there's a TV back there, so you're stuck with me if you're in that room or this one. So... Um, Merry Christmas. Um, if you want to go ahead and point your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, that's where we will spend our time together this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is a black Bible under the chair in front of you. And you're welcome to take that one out and uh, turn to page 856. That's where you will find our reading this morning. And by the way, if you don't own a Bible, um, consider that one this congregation's gift to you. So Merry Christmas, take that one home and read it. Luke chapter 1, we're going to begin reading at verse 68. Luke 1, 68, that uh, if you're using one of the chair Bibles will be found on the right-hand column about the middle of the way right next to the number 68. So here's what we'll do. I'll read the passage and then I'll ask for the Lord's help on our time together. And then um, we will get to work in this passage and all, it should be around 30 minutes or so. After that, Cornerstone Kids is going to come up and they're going to do a special song for us. I'm excited about that. So let's go ahead and get started. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 68. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God the Lord God of Israel. For He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. As He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers And to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham. To grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies. Might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you child. Will be called the prophet of the most high. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people. In the forgiveness of their sins. Because the tender mercy of our God. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. To give light to those who sit in darkness. And in the shadow of death. To guide our feet. Into the way of peace. Let's pray together. Father, I am not what your people need this Christmas. I cannot give them what is most needed for them. And so we appeal to you. You have the words of eternal life. Will you speak to us this morning through your word? Give us ears that we may hear your word. And grant to us eyes that we may see the glories and beauties of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I spent around 15 years uh, working retail, most of it in management, which meant for most of my adulthood, uh, this time of year was bittersweet because I would get all of the Christmas feels, but I would also be away from home a lot and miss my family. It also meant that I had to listen to Christmas music for 60 hours a week, six weeks straight. Probably have heard Mariah's Carey's, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You song more times than she has. For a long time, because of that, I hated Christmas music. I, like, hated it. It would, was not allowed to be played in my home. The only time it was allowed to be played in my home is when my kids were opening presents on Christmas morning. And after that, it was shut down. I'd rather listen to Screamo or Country or something. <laughs> but, you know, after leaving retail, I've come to appreciate Christmas music. Well, actually, to be honest... I come to love Christmas music. Full disclosure, I've been listening to Christmas music since October. As an amateur Christmas music connoisseur, I've learned that there are basically two types of Christmas music. Christmas songs and Christmas carols. And those two things are very different. Christmas songs are mostly about Christmas time. This time of year, this season. Some of them are about love Some of them are about love lost. John Lennon even snuck one in there about war. But most of Christmas songs are about enjoying the holiday season. And they don't really say much at all about the meaning of Christmas. Christmas carols are quite different. Most carols get right to the meaning of Christmas, just like the ones that we've just sung. About God sending His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save His people from their sins. In Christmas carols, you'll find lines like, Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Or remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power while we had gone astray. Well, that's just slightly different from the overall message behind Jingle Bells. Here in the Gospel of Luke, we find Exactly what the carols have been pointing to, the real meaning of Christmas, the miracle birth of Jesus Christ. To make it simple, I've taken this passage and divided it into three parts. When you came in, you probably received a worship guide, and on the back side of your worship guide, you can see those three parts, and you're all going to follow along as you want. I'll announce them as we go along, but here's the idea that we're getting to this morning. This is the summary of this passage as best as I can do. Christmas is about God saving his people through his son Jesus so they could be forgiven of their sins, have peace, and worship him. Christmas is about God saving his people through Jesus so they could be forgiven of their sins, have peace with him, and worship him. Well, as I said, there are three parts. First part, God's plan for salvation. This is what we read in verses 68 to 75. Let's take a look again. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, 
that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Well, it might help a little to know what's going on here in Luke chapter 1. There's an old man named Zechariah who is at this point in Luke 1 speaking for God. And Zechariah is foretelling of something significant that God is doing in his plan to save his people. And Zechariah is happy. He starts off praising God, saying he has visited and redeemed his people. Well, old man Z has plenty to be thankful for. He and his wife Elizabeth have been trying to have a family for some time. And God has recently opened Elizabeth's womb and given her a son whom they will call John. And he will become a prophet of God who will come to announce the coming of the Savior and prepare the way for the Savior of the world. Now take a look at verses 68 to 75 and you see six different things that Zechariah lists about what God has done. Six different things. God has visited his people. God has redeemed his people. God has raised up a horn of salvation for his people. God has saved his people from their enemies. God has showed mercy to his people. And God has remembered his promises to his people. It's a strange list of activities if you think about it. Like, imagine you were to sit down and make, make a list of all the top ten things that you most needed in life. Your ten most important needs. What might you put on that list? Stable income? Good health? Um, a loving family? Good friends? The Cleveland Browns to make the playoffs? I don't know what you would put on your list. That's, that would go on my list. I wonder if anyone here would put on their list someone to redeem me. What, what does it even mean? Redeem. God is redeeming his people. It's weird language. In the Bible kind of language, redeem means to buy something back. I don't know of anyone here who might put that on their list. Like that might be the first thing. I need to be redeemed. But it seems that God considers it to be among our most fundamental needs. And so Zechariah, Zechariah reveals God's plan to redeem his people. Zechariah, in fact, says that that has been God's plan since before time began. So that's what all that weird stuff about Abraham and David and the prophets and horns are about. God has been redeeming his people, buying them back. And that has been his plan from the beginning. So the question is, well, buying them back from what? The Bible teaches that before God created the world, before God said, let there be light and created the heavens and the earth, that he had a plan to save his people from their sins. And so God put the first two humans, Adam and Eve, in a garden to enjoy him, to enjoy life, to enjoy one another. 
And not very long into that whole deal, Adam and Eve decided that they knew better than God. And they broke God's commandment. And they severed their relationship with God. They separated themselves from Him. The Bible explains later that they essentially sold themselves into a type of slavery. A slavery of sin. Now God could have left Adam and Eve in perpetual bondage to sin. He could have started over with a whole new set of human beings. But instead God planned from the beginning to show mercy to those who did not deserve His mercy. You see, God would visit. God would redeem. God would buy back from slavery those who had sold themselves into slavery. And the price He would pay for their freedom was the life of His own Son. God made a promise to save from the very beginning. And then throughout the generations that followed, He continued to reveal that promise to Abraham and to King David and to the prophets. All of this leading up to the fulfillment of God's promise. A virgin birth. God Himself coming to earth. Jesus Christ born and laid in a manger. The effect of God's salvation of His people through His Son are seen in the following verses. In verses 74 and 75, we see them being delivered from their enemies. God's people serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him forever. That's the reason Jesus came to earth. To remove fear. To grant holiness and righteousness. And to reunite God's wayward people to Himself forever. Friends, that's God's list of our most important needs. On God's list of our most important needs, fear, to be set free from fear, fear from God's wrath for our sin, to be set free from unholiness, to be set free from unrighteousness, and to be set free from eternal separation from God. And so, enter Jesus, who came to buy God's people back from the slavery they sold themselves into. If you're here and you're not a Christian, it's likely you've never thought or considered yourself to be under slavery of any kind. I mean, this is America, land of the free. How could I be a slave to anyone? You're living the best life, you know how, you're trying to be a good person, trying to be a good friend, trying to have some fun, help people in need, and I don't doubt any of that's true. But the Bible teaches that by breaking God's commandments, that, that breaking of His commandments called sin is slavery. It may feel like freedom, but you're not actually free to do whatever you want. If you want to know whether that's true or not, try a freedom experiment with me. For one day, if you're truly free, for just one day, try living out the golden rule. The golden rule, Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Try that just for one day. So leave this place today and treat others with the same carefulness and grace and patience and generosity as you do to yourself. 
Try being as committed to someone else's happiness as you are to your own happiness. Try just for one day to be as excited about others being recognized as you are about you being recognized. Try being as tolerant of others in their shortcomings and mistakes as you expect them to be of yours. If you're anything like me, you'll find that the golden rule vanishes the very moment that you get behind the wheel of your car. (laughs) Friend, I must tell you that God loves you enough and he wants you to know that unless you are following Jesus Christ, you're actually in the bondage of sin. And what's worse is that you're blind to it. And he wants you to turn from your sin and turn to him trusting in His Son where you will find forgiveness for your sins, freedom from bondage, and have peace with God. The privilege of all who follow Jesus is that they have been forgiven. The wrath of God is not a a cause of concern for them because they know that the wrath of God for their sin has been placed on Jesus on the cross. They understand that Jesus has already paid for their sins. And when God raised Jesus from the dead, he rose them to new life as well. And they have been redeemed, bought back from the slavery to sin. And now they enjoy a new life of freedom in God. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ and been set free, do it today. Confess your sins today. Trust in him today. Tell someone who brought you to church today. Ask them how you can follow Jesus and be given the holiness and righteousness and the peace that you need to have with God. Well, that's part one. Part two, God's prophet of salvation. We see this in verses 76 and 77. Let's read that again. Zechariah speaking to his son now, John. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. As I said, Zechariah is speaking to his newborn son, John the baptizer, as we know him, John the Baptist. He becomes a great man of God. He's a prophet of God. In fact, the Bible says he's the last of the Old Testament prophets. He becomes very popular in Israel, a preacher. Zechariah says, you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. So John was sort of like the opening the opener for a headliner. He's getting the crowd ready in anticipation for the star of the show. John will give knowledge of salvation to God's people in the forgiveness of their sins. So John came to teach the people to look to Jesus. John was widely known in Israel, but he didn't tell anyone to come see him. He told everyone to go see Jesus. He told everyone, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Savior. I was the one sent to prepare the way for him. And when Jesus began his ministry, John was pointing to Jesus with both hands, saying he must increase as I must decrease. In many ways, the ministry of John the baptizer is the same as all of us. Our job is to point others to Jesus, to look to him, to help them see That we're nothing special. We're sinners saved by God's grace like everyone else. We point to Jesus where we have found peace and rest 
and unshakable joy. Like John the Baptist, every Christian is involved in pointing to Jesus and helping others follow him. If you're a Christian and you're really not sure how that looks, you've never actually been involved in helping another person follow Jesus. If you're a member of this church, please talk to me or Pastor Brent. One of our favorite things is to help you see how God has equipped you uniquely to help someone else you know follow Jesus. Everyone in this room at one point in their life had a person like John the Baptist come to them and point them to Jesus. And every person in this room who is in Christ has the same privilege of going to someone else and helping them follow Jesus. Last part, and this is where we'll wrap up. Verses 78 and 79, God's peace from salvation. Verses 78 and 79. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. I want you to understand what Zechariah is saying here. Christmas is a celebration of God come to earth. Jesus Christ, born of the virgin, on a rescue mission to buy back his people from the bondage they're in. Christmas is, a, is an act of God's tender mercy. So many folks have a faulty view of God. One that's informed more by culture and by TV and movies than it is by the Bible. And so many people have an idea that God is just this old man in a toga with a really long beard who sits up in heaven. And he's either Zeus-like, throwing down bolts of lightning on people he don't like. Or he's this old jolly fat guy who just doles out good things to good people. Sort of like a Santa Claus or something. But in the pages of Scripture, what we find is that that's not who God is. God has revealed himself here in the Bible. We find that God is not up in heaven, aloof, just kind of overseeing the things of the earth, but not really engaged at all. What we find is that we have an active God who cares deeply about his people. He's not the kind of, you know, jolly old being who comes around once a year through a chimney or something. He doesn't give out good gifts to good people. We find God is a God of tender mercy, which means that he gives good things to bad people. He is a God of tender mercy, and through that tender mercy, he has shined the light of his grace to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Christmas is a celebration of God shining his light, of his love on sinners like us. Sinners like us who at one point sat in darkness, in the shadow of death, not even aware that we were there in the shadow of death. Because if all you've ever known is darkness, then you don't even know you're in darkness. And the birth of Jesus is a great light in a sin-darkened world to those who don't even know they're in the dark. It's also important, I think, to remember that Christmas time isn't a time of joy and cheer for everyone. For some of us, Christmas time is hard. Sometimes getting together is the best reminder of who's missing. 
Sometimes being surrounded by happiness and cheer from other people only reveals how little of those things we have in our lives. And if that's you, I want you to know it's okay for you to feel that way this time of year. When you do, just remember. Remember the tender mercy of your God who shined His light into your darkness, who brought you out of the shadow of death and into the light of the life of His Son. Remember, Jesus came to guide our feet into the way of peace. Friends, you won't find peace on your own. Peace can't come from inside of us. It won't be found by us. Peace, the peace spoken of here in this passage, the peace that we need most of all, comes from being restored to fellowship with your Creator. Peace comes in one way, and that's through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that. And so as you go from this place and you, you begin, begin gathering with your families over the next couple of days, go ahead and sing your Christmas songs and sing your Christmas carols. Do have a holly jolly Christmas, but remember what the Christmas carols teach. What makes Christmas time holly and jolly isn't white snow and it isn't presents around the tree. It isn't even family. It isn't even friends. Those things are wonderful and those things are dear. But what makes Christmas time precious is what it celebrates. The tender mercy of a God saving His people through His Son Jesus, through whom they can be forgiven, have peace, and worship Him. Amen? Please stand for the prayer of confession. At the end of our services, we take a moment and we pray together again about some of the things that we've seen in the passage before us. We confess our sins to the Lord. And then after we're done with this prayer, you can be seated again, and the little ones will come, come up and uh, end up our service today with a song. Pray with me a prayer of um, confession. Father in heaven, to you belongs glory and honor and strength and power. Your word has thundered this morning. It has shaken the foundation of our lives. And it has revealed fault lines. It has revealed where we have wrongly diagnosed our own needs. Lord, we thank you that you have exposed our truest needs to us. Lord, we recognize that we're not good at seeing ourselves rightly, so often blind to our own faults and failures. And so we thank you for sending your word. We thank you for seeing us as we truly are. We ask that you would send your spirit to continue to reveal to us our truest need for redemption. God, we need your tender mercy. We need your forgiveness. We need the righteousness and holiness that comes only from Jesus. Lord, we need to be made right with you, to have peace with you. And so we thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that we get to remember him this time of year. That we get to remember that he came from heaven to save us from our sins. And Lord, we ask that you would enable us to keep Jesus central this time of year, to keep the message of his birth central, 
And will you enable us to encourage those for whom this time of year is not full of holly and jolly? Will you enable us to help them, to encourage them, to point them to Jesus, to proclaim to them the excellencies of Christ, the excellencies of the God who sent His Son to us who were lost in darkness and to give us the light of His life. We pray this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' praise. Amen.